0: Welcome to episode 11 of the Eyes Have It podcast with your host Brent Hershey and me Chris Blessing. It feels like forever since we last recorded an episode. Hopefully we're not out of practice.
1: How goes it today, Brent? Goes well, Chris. Uh, glad to get back in here chatting about uh, prospects. How, uh, how uh, are you doing? How was your weekend? My time away was actually pretty good. I uh, was at a work conference, uh, which
0: included a lot of work uh, and not much play. But I did get to visit some family in North Florida, so that was fun. And didn't have to record a podcast. We had actually recorded
1: the podcast Thursday before I left. Yes, we certainly um Nailed that draft content before you left there, um, felt it was uh, stuff that could uh, wait a couple days. And so, yeah, it's been about uh, 10, 11 days since we actually did this and uh, looking forward to it again. Just a, a reminder that the eyes have it brought to you by BaseballHQ.com. A uh, subscription to the site uh, gets you all of uh, Chris and the rest of our minors teams written work. Um, First-hand scouting reports, call-up profiles of all the new uh, rookies uh, upon their first activation, uh, as well as all the um, fantasy baseball stuff you need, daily projections update, projected playing time changes, skills profiles, strategy, uh, and research articles, all geared to help you win your fantasy baseball league both this year and in the future. It's a good time of the year to check out our stuff as we are getting into the middle phase of the season. And uh, for all that more info and even uh, check out some uh, occasional free articles we have, you can check out BaseballHQ.com slash subscribe.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a very busy week for the Miners uh, side, which we'll get into uh, a little bit later as we get on. And, uh, you know, just kind of uh, telling you all, actually, tonight I'm going to be performing double duty. Uh, We are actually recording this podcast on Monday night. And then after we're done, I'll be on with the Fantasy Six Pack podcast, which will actually be live. So I'll be doing this podcast before I go on a live podcast and then release this podcast after we edit it uh, tomorrow. It's going to be a little weird. But if you couldn't get enough of our pod from last week about the draft, I'll be discussing the draft again on the Fantasy Six uh, uh, Pack podcast. Uh, check out my Twitter handle at D underscore blessing for more information on how to listen to the uh, this episode of the Fantasy 6 podcast. I, I'm actually on this twice a year, um, and this is my favorite podcast other than our own because uh, it's also a beer podcast.
1: Uh, oh, there you go. So we get
0: to talk beer and uh, drink some beer and talk prospects, and in this case, uh, talk about the draft. So we'll be hitting some prospects we didn't hit last week in our podcast, so... It should be something for everyone to enjoy that can't get enough of first-year player draft uh, prospects.
1: Super! That's uh, we'll be looking uh, forward to that, and uh, glad that you can spread your wings. And uh, I'm not the only one you podcast with, for instance. Um, you're on you're th- my only. You're my only co-host, though. Well, that is that is true. <laughs> <laughs> on today's, that was a sweet
0: uh, sentimental moment. <laughs>
1: That's about as sweet as we get yeah. on today's show. We'll check out some of Chris Live's look from a couple weeks ago. Um, but first, we're going to talk a little bit about our baseball HQ midseason top 50 list, uh, which is available. We'll be coming out on Wednesday, um, Wednesday, July 28th. So depending when you listen to that, it may be uh, when you listen to us, it may be released already or about to be released. Just a quick quick how-to of, of how we put together our mid-season top 50, uh, similar to our HQ100, which is our off-season top 100 list. We have a group of our contributing writers that each submits their own top 50 list. Again, this is fantasy specific. In the mid-season top 50, we do, uh, of course, um, take out anyone that's that has played in the majors at all in 2021. Uh, we remove those guys from the pool because we figure folks have picked them, picked them up already, uh, even if they've gotten sent back down and it's, uh, you know, it's a good mid season checkup for how the first, uh, several months of the season uh, have gone. And as Chris and I will talk about later, it's a, uh, a bit extra difficult this year doing that with, with all the issues they have faced this year, getting started late, uh, missing the year. And so, uh, well, we put that all together. We don't include the uh, the new draftees. We try to keep it just to those players that we have professional experience for. And uh, but it, it's definitely different. There's some differences uh, from the HQ 100, which we will get to talk about. Anyway, I think uh, while that well, that's subscriber content content that will that uh, will be published on Wednesday. <clears throat> Chris and I in, on the podcast here are going to talk a little bit about each of our own individual lists. We uh, exchanged lists for this purpose. It turns out that Chris and I have a different number one prospect. Uh, Chris has Bobby Witt Jr. and I have Spencer Torkelson. So let's just uh, let's chat a little bit, Chris. What, uh, what went into your thought of Bobby Witt Jr. For, having the, for footing him at the number one spot?
0: Well, actually, my top five changed over and over. Um, while compiling this list. I think the only person that really stayed in the same position was Bobby Witt Jr. I have Witt one, Julio Rodriguez two, Adley Rushman three, CJ Abrams, even though he's hurt, number four, and Spencer Torkelson, your number one guy, five. And I think that there was at least one or two drafts where Torkelson was my number two prospect. So I kind of have a bunch of guys bunched up together. Earlier this season, I did a breakdown on, uh, you know, essentially a this and that article, we, I did two of them earlier. I probably need to do a few more, uh, as the season has, has churned along, uh, but I haven't gotten to them yet. And essentially it's like picking one guy over another. Uh, my first article was, was picking, uh, Corbin Carroll over Christian Robinson. And of course, unfortunately, Robinson has missed the season due to some off the field, uh, Personal stuff. Carol got injured after week one. So like that article kind of, kind of, uh, not really worked out the way that we wanted it to. But the second article I wrote was, was about Wander Franco versus the field. And uh, I made a case that Bobby Witt Jr. was the only guy that really had a chance at competing with with Wander Franco. And of course, for our purposes, Wander Franco has graduated off of our list. We'll see if he gets past the rookie status. I think he will get enough at-bats to get off our top 100 list for good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Witt, to me, is the combination of, really and truly on this list, is the only guy I see that can contribute uh, in you know a regular format in all five categories. Uh, We're talking about a plus guy, hit and, and power tool, uh, this is a guy who also steals bases. Uh, yes, there's some swing and miss, but there's swing and miss in almost everybody right now. For me, that was enough to elevate him to the number one one uh, slot. I, I also, you know, digging into this draft a lot, this last draft, we were talking some about Jordan Lawler. Yeah. And Jordan Lawler ended up getting a lot of comps to Bobby Witt Jr. And I thought they were unfair comps because I, I, I while well, I see Lawler as a guy that uh, fills up a lot of fills up all the categories all the same categories i feel like bobby witt jr might have the plus skill set while lawler might have the you know above average one so yeah. you know the more and more i dug into witt jr it just really kind of made sense to have him as my number one prospect
1: yeah i mean i <clears throat> quite frankly i mean the the number one spot for me was uh torkelson or witt jr i just gave the edits to torkelson basically because i think the i just think the power is so is so huge and you know listeners have uh, heard me talk about that uh seeing seeing him take some bp a couple times within a week uh here at the double a somerset uh, and then also at the futures game and it's it's just a majestic swing lots of loft lots of strength certainly has a uh, you know, a plus hit tool to go along with it. He's not going to steal the bases, but I think, uh, that wit will certainly. But I think the, for me, the edge that I see in Torkelson is just the, you know, just, just the massive kind of power potential to go along with, uh, what I think will be a decent average in, you know, even, even in a park like, uh, Comerica there, uh, I think that he will have uh, success. He's had success. Right off the bat, had some had some struggles, of course, in spring training. But uh, you know, started out in high A, hit his way out of there, and been, uh, been doing great in double A so far. Uh, I just think that uh, you know, just the the power difference um, from Torkelson to Witt was just enough to kind of uh, you know to edge him out. I mean, I will say with Witt, I, I mean, there is certainly, like I said, because they were so close for me, I, I certainly can see can see that argument for him in that kind of all around player, uh, mode. And, you know, for folks that haven't seen, for instance, that inside the park home run that he hit uh, that had been whatever a week or so, maybe ago that, uh, had, uh, made its rounds on social media, quite impressive. I mean, he killed the ball, uh, and it didn't get that far away from the outfielders and he still rounded the bases, uh, with ease really. And uh, that's, that's that's kind of the speed, the game speed that you're talking about um, that certainly will be a big, a big part of his game.
0: I think it's interesting, and a little bit of an audible here on our scripted uh, questions, but I think it's interesting that both of us had Adley Rushman and C.J. Abrams 3-4. And I feel like, you know, I, I did a lot of juggling. Like I said, I didn't really juggle C.J. Abrams. And we're talking about a guy that's out for the season with a broken leg. Yeah. And we both feel that strongly about uh about Abrams. Uh and you know, I thought that you know, I thought that maybe I'd be the only high guy, so I'm kind of kind of excited to see you at 4 and can't wait to see what the other uh writers at HQ on the minor side say about him. Uh but anyway, going to our next question. Uh and we in this case for our listeners, we picked two guys that might have appeared at different parts of our list. For Brent, Brent, um, you have Hunter Green number nine on your uh, list, while I have him at 41. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, uh, where, where do you get off having him at nine? I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, but, you know, I'm curious to, to hear you uh, explain why you have Hunter Green at nine. Um, yeah. He's your number two SP on this list. We won't give who's number one, but but I'm sure people can guess who that is. And uh, you do have him over some other right-handed pitchers that, that are sure. uh, interesting, at least in yeah. his class. It's not a little bit ahead of him. So
1: yeah.
0: um, how did you get Hunter Green at number nine?
1: Well, it's because of the great uh, in, in-person in scouting report that you gave us uh, <laughs> several weeks ago. <laughs> and I don't know where you get off putting him at 41. No. Uh, <laughs> I know the thing with green again, I mean, it's, it's actually, you know, similar in a similar way to Torkelson, you know, the one massive tool and he's got it in velocity. And I think that that's going to play for him as he uh, you know, gets to the big leagues. He's obviously a step away now. I know that there's certainly injury concerns. I think that uh, I think you're probably going to tell me that there's reliever kind of risk there. You know, it can both be true as well as some, you know, possibly some control uh, issues. But I just think that he has the strength in that right arm is going to bode well for fantasy. I, I mean, I normally, you know, don't think in terms of like ranking sort of future closers in, in a list like this. I mean, it's just too, there's, uh, you know, there's just too many things that can happen. It's too volatile and all that. But I think Green is sort of the rare player that because of, you know, because of the velocity he gets and the so far the swings and misses he gets with that, I think that he will be, an, for fantasies an impact player, uh, whether he's starter, kind of gone, you know, gone six, seven innings and able to work his way through uh, lineups a couple of times and, and through the season uh, as a starter or if he's in a in a relief mode, I can't, you know, I, I have to think that he's going to be if he ends up in the bullpen. The stuff there will be, you know, kind of impact stuff the same way that someone like, you know, Emmanuel Classé has, you know, has has that one devastating pitch and and now is at the back end of that, you know, back end of that Cleveland bullpen. So that that type of uh, thing. So you know looking back uh yeah he is ahead of of some other pitchers that uh i like a quite a good bit also um but i think for me it, it's that one kind of monster tool that uh that elevated him him into the top 10
0: i agree and mostly with what you said i think i think i have him at 41 mostly because he's done this over a two and a half month period
1: That's fair. and we really
0: haven't seen. It beyond that. And we're still seeing some warts in the game. And you mentioned some of the warts, and you mentioned some of the risk. But I'll be honest, it wasn't the reliever risk that had me at 41. It was mostly, uh, I want to see a consistent string of starts. And I just haven't seen that yet. I, I've tuned into two AAA starts, and I know he's done better at, uh, during other starts. But uh, for me, it I, I'm just waiting for him to take another uh, another step forward before I can put him higher up in the list. Uh, on my list, uh, you know, just give some context. I have Nick Lodolo, who's the guy I saw ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And while I believe that Green's upside is so much far superior than Lodolo, one of the themes on my list is, uh, and we'll we'll kind of talk about how hard to compile this list was in a moment. But uh, one of my themes of this list was being sure of the guys that I was sure about yeah. and like Lodolo to me, I'm sure about him green. I love the upside, but I'm not a hundred percent sure with him. I think you make a great point about comparing him to Classe because, uh, you know, it's one dominant pitch that has uh, propelled him into the Indians closer role as one of the more dominant, if not one of the most dominant, uh, relievers in, in the game right now. So, uh, you know, I could see that outcome, and and maybe if I did this again, Green might be a little higher on this list. But when I was ranking him, I was consistently in the high thirties, low forties with him.
1: Yeah, no, um, I, I, that's certainly that's certainly fair. Um, you know, it, it has been a like you say, uh, you know, a smaller sample uh, from for Green, but uh, and and you know, if as as you would say that too. I mean, I also if we redid this list, he might you know drop down some for me I might say oh I like you know I don't want to put him whatever uh, you know in front of uh, some of the other pitchers but uh, but I did for this time again and, and it was kind of mainly thinking on that uh, kind of that one that one tool kind of look I know there's a uh, I know there's a guy on your list pretty high actually uh, at number 15 who I don't have at all and I'm interested to have you share why or you know some some thoughts on uh, what uh, what brings uh, Josh Lowe, outfielder for Tampa up to the number fifteen spot in your list? So I've I've always been enamored uh, by Josh Lowe ever
0: since I first saw him in Montgomery in uh, 2019, and then also seeing him in 2019 in the AFL. Uh, I think that he's been an underappreciated prospect. He does a lot of things. Well, he doesn't do anything great. And I think guys like that kind of get pigeonholed. Uh, yeah. And also early in his career, he, he did have some issues with uh, swing and miss. And they, I mean, they're still still there, but they haven't gotten any worse. And I think that's what everybody was expecting. He has uh, cleaned up his back pass. He has cleaned up to his setup and has really kind of taken a step forward in AAA uh uh, this year, I love the combination of power and speed. I think that the average will be well enough that you roster him uh, in the starting lineup of most ten-team, twelve-team, fifteen-team formats. Uh, I think that he's a regular uh, performer, a solid uh, performer, I, and and that's where kind of my list is right now. I think that uh, there there might have been some live look bias, which I think I think it affected my list definitely. I, I'm sure it affected your list as well. For me with with Lowe, I think he's has the ability to, you know, fill up three or four categories without, you know, really creating a weakness at BA. And, and, and you know, we've seen yeah. a lot of sluggers come along right now that depress the BA, uh depress spouting average. And uh, I don't think we're going to get that there. I think overall, he may be a little high on this list, but again, which we'll get into shortly. I'm the, the guys that I think are definitely going to fit into a role in a major league lineup and into a fantasy lineup. Uh, I, I'm just a little bit high on, I guess yeah. would be my, my, yeah. my wording on that. And, and I, again, have always liked the guy and I, you know, live look bias is something that's, that's real. I mean, looking at your list, how many, like, who's the first person that appears on that list other than Spencer Torkelson and Hunter and Riley Green that you've seen this year? It's, it's Adley Rushman, right? Yeah.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. Like you've
0: seen the, in your top 10, I think you've seen four of the 10 guys.
1: Yeah, it certainly does have an effect there, uh, as well as further, further down, uh, you know, we both have, uh, Cade Cavalli in there, who was someone, um, got a chance to see in low A early on. I know that, uh, after, you know, and again, guys that we've talked about on the podcast, I have Francisco Alvarez, a catcher from the Mets, uh, higher than I expected given, given the, uh, several lives looks I had, With him, I think the bat again is just going to be a difference maker, and uh, assuming he can stay at catcher, uh, that will be a that will be a big deal for fantasy guys. Um, But it plays the other way too. Like I, um, you know, I had Austin Martin drop down pretty far because again, while I like the the uh, hit tool there and the ability to make contact. The, the couple looks I had which included BP and, and uh, looks at the futures game um, as well as a, a few other in-game situations at A, it you know I just don't I don't see the impact sort of power that is going to make a big difference at the at the major league level if it continues uh, that way with his with his swing path I mean it's just it's just an inside out sort of swing it's a it's a good bat the ball you know, swing, but it's not one that's going to do, uh, damage right now. And, and, you know, you compare that to someone like, like Josh Lowe actually, as, as, you know, I'm looking at, uh, looking deeper at kind of what he's done this year. I mean, with 14 homers and 15 steals batting two eighty one, I mean, it's, it's kind of obviously going to, uh, need to adjust to major league pitching, but, but you're right. There's a broad base of, of skills there. That give him, you know, more chances to kind of give give your fantasy roster a positive uh, output. So, but the but the certainly the live bias, the live look bias, is is something for real. I mean, another guy that I that we talked about on here from earlier this year that uh, I had ranked uh, 38. That you know isn't on your list and uh, is uh, Rowanzi Contreras, the the pitcher for the Pirates. Uh, I think there's major league stuff there. Again, a guy that was not as uh, you know not as hyped, kind of coming into the year, but uh, seeing seeing the string of consistent starts he put together, and seeing one of them kind of in person, uh, you know, led me to uh, put it there. you know, I'm not sure what to do about the live look (laughs) (laughs) bias, other than other than you know the uh, talking with contacts and kind of confirming uh, or getting opposite opinions of kind of what we've seen. I had a. You know, looking at my list, I I downgraded a lot of guys that I saw
0: live uh, Mm. compared to where you had them. And, you know, I'll, you know, hit on a guy that that I have ranked in my top 50 who barely made the top 50 and who I talked glowingly earlier this season about on the podcast is is Michael Harris. Uh, He went through a tremendous slump. And, you know, one of the things that has really resonated with me is his inability to take pitches Uh, even though against Quinn Priester who we'll be talking about later he walked two times uh Hmm. but it was on pitches Priester was pitching him so carefully that like there was no way for Michael Harris not to walk in both both occasions actually he swung at ball four in one of them because I don't (laughs) think he wanted to walk uh but he still walked but, like, you know, seeing his struggles recently and knowing that, like, I was waiting for him to fail, like, before I started to downgrade him. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you have that thought in your head that, like, hey, if a guy even know with this aggressive approach that doesn't really make sense is continually uh, exceeding expectations that, you know, maybe he has a different skill compared to everybody else. So, right. you know, with Harris the second, I just, sitting on him, well, two weeks ago... Got him out of my top twenty-five and into number forty-six, and who knows, going there this week might take him outside of my top fifty. And so, like, and then you also run into to the count of seeing a guy too much. And I, you know, I've already seen Harris close to ten times, and we're now running into that category of uh, bias. This brings up another good point about this list, and I. I don't know about you, Brent, but this was the hardest list I've ever compiled. I felt that this list was so hard because, A, we had the missed year. Yeah. Uh, B, and I know you've sat through a lot of, a lot of games just like I have. Uh, hitters' timing is completely off uh, as a whole. Yeah. Maybe not in guys like Bobby Witt Jr. or Spencer Torkerson or Julio Rodriguez, but we're talking about like bad, bad issues. And we'll probably get into Nick Gonzalez in a second. Um, and then the other thing is, is the level of competition from all these injuries and stuff. I mean, we've seen, we've seen guys like, like for instance, I've never felt comfortable ranking two guys out for the season in my top 10 as the than this year i yeah. have um cj abrams which we've talked about at four and i have corbin carroll still in my top 10 mm-hmm. and who knows how you know he has he, carroll had season ending shoulder surgery and we all right. know how that kind of affects hitters uh yeah. and you know abrams is a speed guy who broke his leg and you know we don't know how that's going to come come about uh i, I also noticed that like I think the hardest thing is the, the prospects that have struggled um, guys like JJ Blade and Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a very uh, rosy report on M- Mackenzie Gore, um, which I think I might've saw his best three innings of the whole year. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm convinced by that. He is yeah. in the fives. And yeah. it, it's been a rough, rough, you know, rough turn. And like, yeah. Now I hear he's having some blister issues as well, which is a recurrence of an issue that he had, I think, in 18 or 19. Or not.
1: Yeah, right. A couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, I didn't even rank him in my top 50. I, is Mackenzie Gore a top 50 prospect? Yeah. But I, I just couldn't justify ranking him. Yeah. Um, and so what I ended up doing was I ended up being safer. Mm. Um, you know, moved the Hunter Greens back. I kept the Austin Martin. I'm not even I'm not an Austin Martin fan and I have him ranked uh in my top twenty five. Right. But I'm I'm sure that he's a major league starting caliber player. Yeah. Yeah. Um I feel convicted on that. Where I don't feel that same conviction with somebody like Zach Dean, who's in A ball
1: for the Rockies.
0: It's just it's just a very hard list this year. Do you agree with that?
1: yeah i had i had the same kind of uh kind of things It's just you know it's like the whole everyone's sort of <laughs> rhythm has been thrown off you know from us as list makers and kind of observers of of these minor league prospects and to obviously the prospects themselves given the the uh the year off and i think you're you're exactly right that it's you know it's tough to know these hot starters who then cool off a little bit, like you're talking about with Harris or the, or the guys, you know, that kind of struggle most of the year, like Gore, like what is real there? Uh, what is kind of rust from, from not, you know, from losing that year of competition, how are they processing and, uh, psychologically with, you know, possibly not, uh, doing as well as what they uh, are used to or would like. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, it's a lot of uncertainty, and I agree that, you know, with minor league season starting a month later, too, there's there's that uh, taken away. And that's a little bit why we, uh, you know, we often try to get this list out, you know, right after the All-Star break. And we kind of gave ourselves an extra week or two just to kind of continue to have a, a, little, bit of, a little bit bigger uh, of a sample. We're excited to kind of publish it. Like I said, it will be out. Uh, should be out on Wednesday, the 28th, for subscribers. And you can see the overall list of, uh, you know, as we combine all of our lists. And there will also be uh, a chance for you to download each of our individual uh, writers' lists. Yeah, it's
0: always weird when somebody will ask me, Oh, you missed this guy. And I'm like, Well, I don't like this guy. It's <laughs> other writers too. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got some heat for leaving Drew Waters off the list uh, on my top 100. And I'll be honest right now, he is in my top 100. But I, I still, you know, I'm a little bearish compared to some of the other writers, including Brent Hershey, who has him on his list. Uh, yeah. Um, But like, that's that's the thing is that's what's great about these lists is like we don't all agree. Yeah. And while while you and I agree about number three and four, who knows if Rob agrees with three and four and. Right. And who knows, you know, Nick Richards agrees with that and, and any of our other writers. You know, I think this is a, uh, while a lot of sites have one or two writers, we have several writers contributing to this list. And I think one of the great features with this is our risers and fallers part where, where we each hit a riser and each hit a faller, uh, yeah. in, in our ranking. And it gives good context to, uh, what we're seeing and, it also takes out the bias from one list to another. I think that's a, a key that Baseball HQ has,
1: maybe over other other outlet. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and, and these uh, you know and, and once you find these things like the Josh Lowes that uh, you know are are that you have ranked in the top fifteen and certainly no one no one else has them ranked that high. It uh, just gives readers the chance to kind of go dig in and see. Oh, Josh Lowe, he you know he is hitting well. He's a A. Could be up to help soon, and uh, he's got the Chris stamp of approval. So maybe I go pick him up for my league.
0: <laughs> People can't see it, but I have my thumbs up. Yes, you do.
1: So this week uh, on our live look segment, Chris is going to do most of the breakdowns. Got the chance. Chris got the chance to see the Pittsburgh High A Greensboro club, and one of the I know one of the guys I'm really interested to hear uh, report on is a uh, right-handed pitcher Quinn Priester, extra interested because, uh, you know, I had a contact over the, over the winter, uh, scout contact who was really excited about, uh, Priester's stuff at that point had, uh, you know, had really impressed instructional league, uh, where this, uh, scout had seen him and someone, you know, that I was somewhat aware of, uh, but you know, I got a, when you get a glowing report like that, you know, it kind of ears perk up and you take a special notice. So uh, Greensboro certainly hasn't made it up to uh, my area here in the Northeast, but uh, so I was excited that you could uh, check out Priester as well as these other guys. What did you see? Yeah, I, I this year I had a great start of the year. I had Reed
0: Detmers, Hunter Green, and Nick Ladolo all in the first week of the season. And while I also had Ethan Small at some point, I I haven't really had the greatest starting pitcher luck this year. Yeah. So falling into Quinn Priester on a Friday night before I was to make a six-hour drive uh, early in the morning to uh, a conference was was ideal for me, actually. Uh, and and better yet, he faced off against uh, Freddie Tarnick, uh, the Braves prospect. Oh yeah, so it's going to be. A, Going to be a nice little combo article that's going to be out on Tuesday. So, uh, if you haven't read it yet and you're a subscriber, come on over and read my full scouting report on both of these guys. So, um, you know, just to preview this, I don't want to give away a projection or anything, but I'll say the projection is is a big projection uh, on Priester in my article. Uh, Priester was somebody who I do have a few concerns about. But overall, I was blown away by uh, I think that you know the advertisement is that priester's curveball is a depending on who you ask is anywhere from a plus pitch to a double plus pitch now yeah. and also has a future rating with a few sites as a potential exceptional pitch an eighty grade on the twenty eighty sc- scale. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, I was expecting that to really be the the headliner here. And to be honest, he had no feel for the pitch, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which, you know, we all run into from time to time. Uh, A guy that's just not feeling feeling a certain pitch out on a certain night. And so, uh, luckily, as the game grew later on, uh, he went six innings, that curveball did get better. And I did see him flash a plus plus curveball. It's your traditional twelve to six break. I think what makes him uh, more special is you you imagine the shape and you imagine the depth, but it's it, it's the late movement, the late downward movement that he gets on the pitch that just kind of drops off. We you see a lot of twelve six curveballs, but you don't see them as advertised usually, and. Uh, This case to see him flash double plus plus was good enough for me to, you know, kind of not dog it. I think the biggest surprise that I had was, A, his fastball control was not there. He was sub 60%. And from what I understand from talking to a few contacts, he hasn't been much of a strike thrower with his fastball. Uh, Depending on the type of stuff, you want a guy to throw a fastball fastball. You know, anywhere at least uh, uh, above a sixty-five percent strike rate, but depending on what kind of kind of pitcher he is, uh, you know, sometimes seventy to seventy-five. Now, well, seventy-five yeah. might be too much, but the, around seventy is is the sort of pitcher I would ex- uh, sort of percentage that I would expect from Priester. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a longer arm spot, and I don't know if that has something to do with it. Um, I think that he 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 looked like he stayed aligned within his delivery. Uh, I also noticed there was some trepidation. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the in the uh, podcast, there's trepidation against certain hitters in the lineup, specifically Michael Harris the second, where he just refused to throw a fastball to him or throw a fastball even close to the zone. And he was having problems with the field, his, his, uh, breaking pitches against him specifically. The pitch that really shined is a, it's a newer pitch is a slider. It has, uh, sits in the high eighties uh has two plane uh breaks but what's significant about it is the late uh vertical breakdown uh it's really interesting and it it made me start thinking about how that slider has maybe affected the curveball you're you're talking about one pitch that you're trying to get on top of and then you're talking about another pitch that you're not really getting on top of you're Mm -hmm. you're creating slider action so like that was something of interest and then he threw a fourth pitch that was, you know, as good as the slider. So, and that was a changeup that was in the mid 80s. Uh, It had uh, arm side fade, his best ones even had tumble. So like, I look at it as like, maybe the fastball might be the lesser of the through of the four pitches Hmm. Uh, projection wise. It might be, you know, he got one swing and missed the whole evening on his fastball. Um And that same thing happened to the curveball. Granted, the one curveball he got the swing and miss on was was dramatic. But the majority of his swings and misses were on the changeup and slider, which was huh. very impressive. And yeah. I kind of, when I look at a guy like this, I, I'm not used to seeing above average or better stuff. We hmm. see a lot of average or better stuff, but above average or better stuff. And I feel like you can project all four of these pitches at the very least above average offering.
1: Yeah. What was uh, what was his velocity like and like what was sort of the shape or, or characteristics of the fastball? I said, you know, you said you didn't get very yeah. much swing the misses with it, maybe had some problems location with it. But, uh, yeah, what were what were some of the specifics on it?
0: He was mostly ninety two to ninety four.
1: Mm-hmm. Which, uh, at the alternative
0: site, he was in the mid to high 80s, or high 80s, mid to high 90s. Yeah. Um. So, like, you know, in the longer appearances lo- later into the season, it seems like uh, maybe the fastball velocity is backed up a bit. Uh, the quality of the fastball, you know, I was surprised. I I, I know that he variates between a two seamer and a four seamer. It seemed like he was throwing the two seamer a lot more than the four seamer. I feel the four seamer is a much effect much more effective pitch, especially up. Yeah. Uh, the two seamer in this appearance did get a good bit of ground ball. But again, this Rome lineup, this was after the Bryce Ball deal, so it was with one less hitting prospect even though i'm not the highest on ball a cub prospect it's not the strongest lineup out there i feel like a better lineup would have done some damage against this fastball yeah i i'm i I, and the thing is you look at his body there's there's room to grow uh into his six three frame um so there's more power to come like i could see this guy being a mid-90s fastball but as presently constructed, from what I see, and even with a velocity uptake, at best it's an above-average pitch, I think we need to see more in, in in the design part of the pitch to see if it can play up into the plus range.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just looking back at uh, <clears throat> notes and stuff I have from the Futures game where he pitched uh, where I saw him uh, again. Now, I, was, I wasn't behind home plate. I was in the press box there, but uh, was taking velos off of the uh scoreboard and and uh you know he he was he was ninety five ninety six on that day. Again, you know, we reminded people then and and you know, just the, the context of that, these short outings they know um, you know, they're only getting a couple hitters, which he did get. Yeah, I mean the first uh his first batter was a four pitch walk to Rutchman, you know, it was ninety five, ninety six all fastballs, but none of them uh none of them got the strike zone and and uh while he got force out and then uh a K uh, you know, struck out the younger Cespedes, it, uh, it wasn't an overly kind of impressive outing from from that perspective, from a fastball uh, one anyway. And, and I do see, uh, I don't know what his kind of strikeouts to walks were for that game, but, you know, he, he does have, uh, you know, basically just a two to one at this point, 49 Ks and 24 walks in 55 innings uh, so far in his 12 starts there at high A. So, uh, you know, I think you, you make a good point. Certainly the fastball and finding that, you know, command and uh, getting a better shape, finding the VLO band that works for him certainly would have propelled him forward, given what you're saying about the quality of, of these other three pitches.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, you pretty much summed it up there. The one thing I had to keep reminding myself when I, when I was filling out my report is that he's only 20 years old. Yeah, and that's advanced for high A, especially after missing a season. And granted, yeah. he was at the ATS, and he was also in instructional league, but that's yeah. not the
1: same. I mean, it's
0: just yeah. not. Uh,
1: they could have, they, they could have very easily stuck him in low A, and no one would have blinked. Uh, nobody in, would have blinked in, in a lower, you know, in a lower level where sometimes you know these kind of fundamental things, fastball command, especially, are kind of uh, job number one uh, at that point. Yeah, and, and, a- at,
0: and at eighteen or at twenty, he's he's one of the better pitchers in that division. You know that's saying a whole lot for for this guy, even though uh, his fastball strike rate is not optimal at this point. Yeah,
1: gotcha. Let's move on. Uh, the another uh, kind of headliner, I guess, of the of this Greensboro team is second baseman or infielder. I guess I think he's playing second base, Nick Gonzalez, who was a uh, first round pick in the 2020 draft came in with a um, with reports of a big, uh, big kind of hit tool, uh, great bat to ball, um, you know, good, good contact guy. There was some question about, you know, how the power would uh, and if it would translate kind of to the pros. So anyway, he's he, uh, you know, has he's on, is on several of our uh, individual uh, midseason top 50 lists. But I'm interested also very much and what uh, you saw there with Nick Gonzalez.
0: All right, well, you know, Gonzalez started this season very hot and uh, then cooled off considerably, uh, injured his finger, fractured his finger, and, you know, I saw him a few weeks after he came back from that. And I saw a hitter that was very much the, – the timing was very much off with him. Uh, I was expecting a guy that was uh, very contact-oriented – I I found a guy that was almost swinging for the fences. So hmm. watching him at, at the plate, I, you know, I, w- I was very much concentrating on what he wasn't doing correctly. Yeah. And uh, then what I went ahead and did was I went ahead afterwards uh, after the first game that I saw him, I saw him three games, uh, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday of a week uh, of that week. Um, you know, looking at him from college, there wasn't really much change other than uh, it seemed like he was a heck more uh, aggressive. Hmm. Which, when a guy's coming off an injury, it was kind of surprising how aggressive he was because usually when you have a hand injury, you tend to be very cautious with what you swing at. It actually yeah. kind of makes you a better hitter, really. Yeah. Um, and he he was he had one swing in him and during the bat and. Uh, He used it early and often. Uh, He didn't really work any counts. Uh, Actually, in the uh, Sunday game of this series, he had bumped his average from 220 to almost 250 after a huge performance at the plate. Uh, I think he hit a triple and a few singles. Uh, But there there were some things that, like, you know, it, it was a very difficult scout because you're scouting a player not at 100%. And uh, which was very obvious and it's going to be a focal point in my Thursday article. Uh, You know, how do you scout a guy when, when, you know, a, you know, that he's not healthy. So uh, I, I will break down his swing further uh, make some correlations to what was in college. Uh, And, you know, really the only thing that I think that there's a bit of a timing issue and I feel like it's such a, small thing that he can resolve it fairly quickly because the the bat speed was there uh you know it's the same swing plane that we saw at new mexico state it's it, it's really the same swing with, with the exception of one little timing issue
1: yeah. uh
0: so like i'm i'm fairly confident that he gets back on uh back going again i i still ranked him in my top 50 i think that he's a uh you know, a top thirty ish prospect. I don't know where I had him. I had him thirty-eight, which might have been a little hard on on him. But um, you know, when he hit the ball hard, he hit the ball hard. He had some hot hard contact during the series. Uh he had an extra base hit when I saw him. Uh so like it, it's all there. It's just a matter of uh getting that timing uh, squared away. No,
1: it's uh it's uh good to hear. I mean I do I do notice just you know stat wise uh, there is more kind of strikeouts, I think, than what, uh, you know, than what we would have expected, you know, at this point through 38 games, he struck out, uh, you know, 54 times. Um, but again, you know, if some of that is certainly is timing uh, oriented and knowing, uh, ha- you know, his history of, of uh, making good contact, you know, certainly someone to watch in the in the second half on how, uh, you know, how he adjusts to that level. Let's stay in the infield Was a third guy, you know, sort of a under the radar guy a little bit. Um, Leover Pagaro, uh, infielder, uh, is also on that team. Has been on, you know, some kind of pirate centric uh, lists and uh, has been, uh, you know, has gotten some love here and there. And uh, yeah, what can you tell us about uh, Pagaro? I like Pagaro
0: a lot. Um, and on, and just so our listeners know, this is going to be my full scouting report on him. I don't plan on writing him up for the sites. So this is a freebie. I like Pagura a lot. Like Priester, uh, Peguero, uh has a very aggressive assignment this year. He's a 20-year-old in high A. And honestly, while I thought Priester, from the reports I had, Priester would probably have started in high A, I was very surprised to see Paguero on the roster. He hasn't had the greatest season. He's batting around 250. He's ultra-aggressive at the plate. But it, it's a guy that you can see feeling it out as his at-bats uh, um, accumulate during the game. He At the plate, I mean, he, it's a super quick swing. His uh, hands are cocked back. Um, uh, the hands are... Uh, over the plate a bit, and he's he's even. He doesn't have an open stance like, like we've seen with so many guys these days. The one problem in his setup is when he's getting his hands to the hitting position, he hitches. Uh, sometimes it's, it's more um, exaggerated than than it is at other times. Uh, specifically on breaking pitches, he, he will really dip his hands. Uh, and, and that's what a hitch. When we talk about a hitch and a load – that's what we're talking about, somebody dipping their hands. Uh, right. You know, that kind of slows down his bat, which has caused him to maybe not get out in front of pitches, uh, out front of the pitch, and, and get contact in the hit zone. Um, there's power projectable here. Um, this guy uh, does have, I want to say, at least 25 home run in his frame and his swing and batting practice. Um, my, my little fear with him is that the mechanics of the swing, the pirates have never been known as a team to really, you know, iron that kind of stuff out. I know there's a new regime. Uh, so we're going to be very interested and see how that stuff, uh, takes place. But like there, there's some concern here that, uh, the hit tool may not be a hundred percent there. Sure. Um, the dude can run. I had a plus, uh, home to first speed on him. He's also a really good defender too. He he manages shortstop really well. He's very rangy, very strong arm. No hump in his throws, you know. So this guy's going to fit at shortstop uh, regardless. So you know, looking at him, it's uh, for fantasy purposes. It's how he develops um, and shortens and and tightens up his swing mechanics, but to really determine where he's going to go.
1: Yeah, no, oh, that's, that's that's interesting. I'm looking back at. Uh kind of uh, where he kind of came from. And it's just, you know, it's just a good reminder here with the trade deadline coming up this week. He wasn't traded at the trade deadline. It was uh, in January of 2020, but uh, he was one of the returns that the Pirates got from the Diamondbacks uh, who had signed uh, signed him uh, as a July 2 international signing in 2017. It's, it's someone they got back. The Pirates got back uh, from the Arizona in the Starling Marte deal. A guy at that point you know, had not even been in full-season ball yet, um, and here he is in high A, uh, kind of holding the zone, like you said, as young, uh, has some stolen base potential, has potential for uh, some pop from the middle infield spot, and is a fairly good defender. So, uh, Leeover uh, Peguero is certainly someone to keep an eye on.
0: And, and and you know, to talk about the Pirates real quick, I know we have probably some fans that check in from from Pittsburgh they've done really well getting more talent back into that organization yeah. uh, and picking up guys like picuro, And like, I really believe Picuro is, I believe, like I have belief that he irons out this stuff. He's a top 100 prospect for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: my, my thing is uh, you know, the skills there uh, some of my contacts within the Arizona organization, not in the Arizona organization, but they've covered Arizona organization. Um, liked him better than some of their, their top prospects. So like that, I mean, it was a really good get at the time by the pirates and they keep on taking chances. They've taken a lot of high upside guys from the Padres of late. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I spent some time scouting Hudson head a few weeks ago. And while there's a lot of mess in that, in that profile, they're, they're going for high upside guys to try to turn things around in Pittsburgh, which which is good, considering the organization was kind of void of high uh, octane talent
1: for several yeah. years. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it they, is good to see that. And, and as you know too, the uh, you know the kind of new front office regime uh, there would uh, be good to see how they uh, how they help mold some of these guys, what their focuses on are, uh, and uh, and then uh, you know how they could actually for us, for us fantasy folk, uh, kind of fit into our teams in, in the future going forward. Thanks for those uh, good reports on the Pirates. Hi, Greensboro. Um, I was just looking here. I I may have a chance to see them later in the season. I think there's one oh, goody. series that uh, they may get up to Jersey Shore, I think maybe in September. And especially if a couple of those guys are still there, it's going to be, I'll, I'll be interested to see, get my eyes on them. Uh, just for myself to see. Yeah, I
0: would. I would uh, imagine that. Picuro's still there, and I would imagine Priester's still there, and hopefully you get Thomas uh, um, yeah. there as well. I missed him. Uh, his start. Well, let's get to our upcoming schedule. It's going to be a big week for me between podcast articles and live looks. Again, check out the archive of my guest appearance in the Fantasy Six Pack podcast with Joe Bond and AJ Applegarth. Also. Subscri- subscribers, check out my two articles this week. Uh, already mentioned the Quinn Priester and Freddie Tarnick article for Tuesday. And later this week, uh, I'm going to be covering Nick Gonzalez and uh, Braves prospect Jarrett Schuster, who you saw insert that into that article. Yeah. And then I have some live looks this week. I'll be covering some Astros prospects. And while I don't think I'm going to be coming back with, with any frontline or headline stealing prospect report, I will be able to fill out some good reports for MLBA, our minor league baseball analyst coverage and our off season coverage at the site with Astros Prospects, which I've inherited. So I'll get to see Freudis Nova and Colin Barber with that. So I'm yeah. um, I'm excited. It will be it's a solid team of Astros Prospects. There's just not really that gotcha prospect, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm, um,
1: yeah. Brent, what do you have on tap this week? I'm going to head up to Reading uh, this week, I believe, for a double-A uh, Phillies action. Again, it'll be partially to uh, fill out uh, some reports that uh, I'll do for the MLBA later in the season. But there, there may be some other stuff that we'll talk about there. Uh, I'd like to see Francisco Morales, who's uh, number number four ranked in the Phillies organization for us. I've um, seen a couple times he's had a really rough season. He's had a couple of good starts, but uh, I think the ERA is north of six or seven at this point. Um, but I want to get uh, some eyes on him and see, uh, you know, kind of compare what I had seen from him before and kind of what he's working on. And also uh, Bryson Stott, the uh, shortstop is in double a reading and, and uh, has been, as, as many prospects do, uh, hitting with some extra power up there. So I want to take a look at him as well and uh, possibly be able to talk about um, one or both of those guys uh, next week. There's also a chance I may head to uh, Aberdeen for a second trip in because those, the um, Bowling Green hot rods are in this week, who I know you have seen, and there's uh, some talent on there that I'd like to check out also. So uh, it's been a couple weeks since I was at a game because of various things. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to both of those. And we'll certainly have some good stuff to talk about uh, again next week here on The Eyes Have It. I th- think that about wraps us up here. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Eyes Have It. Uh, you can contact us via email at theeyeshaveit@baseballhq.com. at baseballhq.com. We'd love to hear from uh, you listeners if you have specific questions on Guys, or any of the things, topics that we cover, or suggestions, uh, that's the place to reach us both. You can also hit us up on Twitter. Chris, as he mentioned, is at C underscore blessing, and you can find me at Brent HQ. Thanks for those of you that subscribe to us uh, on the podcatchers. And if you are doing so on a platform that allows you to rate and review us, we really uh, appreciate uh, positive reviews and feedback uh, in that sense. Thanks again for spending this nearly an hour with us. And uh, Chris, any closing thoughts?
0: I don't have any. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for setting me up for that. But I don't have any closing <laughs> thoughts except for y'all have a great week.